2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. The word of the Lord. Morning, guys. My name is Corey Johnston. I'm Trailhead's church planting resident. Um, what that means is myself and my team were here um, being trained and equipped to go out and, and plant a church similar to Trailhead in the city of Collinsville early um, next year. And so it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to share in God's word um, with you today. As you heard in that text, um, it's wordy. There's a lot of weird names, a lot of senses are broken up weird. So I'm going to try to do my best to do some diligence and really step through here, um, just kind of straight through systematically. I'm going to repeat myself a lot, um, and that's so that you can really start wrapping your mind around like what's going on in the text, because it's, it's kind of hard to understand it, especially just um, to hear it. So if you could, um, one of those Bibles around you on page 260 is the text that we will be going through. Before we get started, I want to stare, uh, share a story with you. A few months ago, um, our air conditioning unit went out at our house. And um, for those of you that know us, we have a, a newborn now, or I guess she's, she would have been four months at the time, so not quite a newborn, but still a baby. 
And uh, so we were kind of nervous, you know, because we didn't have AC. It was starting to get hot. Um, and so I called some people, a few consultants, because I don't know anything about air conditioning units, nothing at all. And so I called some different um, companies to come and just say, you know, what do we need to do? I have no idea. And so they all come and they say the same thing. They give me a quote from $1,500 to $6,000. And I'm like, well, that's quite the range, you know? And then they all tell me the same thing. And they're like, you could pay 1500 but it might not fix it. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm going to give you $1,500. It may or may not take care of the solution. And so I'm talking with them and all of them, like, I'm getting this anxiety and just kind of this fear. And, and the last guy is there and his name's Jim. And we're outside on the back patio and he's like, yeah, Corey, you know, it, my consultant was right, man. He's like, 1500 bucks, and I can't promise you that's going to fix it. I'm like, oh, geez. And so I start like backpedaling in my fear. And I'm like trying to make excuses for why I don't have to commit to the sale, you know. And I'm like, well, I got to talk to my wife and we got to crunch some numbers and, and all these things. And, and then I'm like, you know, you just don't understand. We just have to get this figured out. And he's like, no, Corey, you don't understand. And I'm like, what? And he's like, here's what I'm going to do for you. And it's like, oh, great. Here it goes. You know, the salesman pitch. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to take care of it for you. And I was like, oh. Um, well, like I said, you know, I, we got to crunch these numbers, and, and I'm trying to get inside the house. I was like, you know, you don't understand, Jim. He goes, no, you don't understand. And I was like, well, you put it like that. And he's like, I'm going to do it for free. I'm going to take care of it for you, 1500 bucks. I was like, man, Jim, that's, you know, that's 1500 He's like, yeah, it might cost a heck of a lot more because if that doesn't work, he's like, we're just going to fix the whole thing, and that's going to be $6,000. And I was like, holy smokes. And uh, I'm trying, I feel so bad because I'm just like running from his kindness. You know, I want like, I just want to recluse and go inside, and he's trying to give me this blessing. And I'm like, why, Jim? And then he's like, well, you know, I don't know you. I know a little about your story. He's like, but I know God, and, and he's blessed me with a great company for 35 years, and I just want to give back. Um, and then he's like, I hope God blesses you and out the door. And I'm like, I think you just did, but I'm not completely sure, <laughs> you know? And, um, and is that not like our go-to when we get faced with, like, with fear in our lives? Like we just want to recluse, we want to hide, we want to get away from it. And sometimes we ignore the very blessings that are right in front of us. Um, and that's what we see in our story today with, with David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth has actually been running, he's been in hiding, and David is pursuing him. And David wants to pursue him to show what we just read, the kindness of God to him. But Mephibosheth in his fear has fled all the way to a town called Lodabar. Um, and we're going to unpack that story over the next 35 or so minutes. Um, but here's the overarching big idea that I want you to, to take away today, especially if you're taking notes, write this down. It's this. It's grace is where God embraces you at his son's expense, right? Grace is where God embraces you at his son's expense. This is going to be all throughout the story. And I recognize some of you here today, and maybe you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Christ, just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. This is our gift um, to you. We hope that you don't go running into hiding and that you feel like this is a great place to come and process and, and ask questions. We actually planted Trailhead Church for you that do not believe in Christ. And so we welcome you um, here. So let me set up the story, and then, uh, and then we'll get started <clears throat> looking at the text. So King David was originally a shepherd boy, um, just a poor shepherd boy. And, and, da- and, and God, in his grace, decides to anoint this shepherd boy to be the king over the whole nation of Israel. Okay, and so God comes, he sends someone, he tells David, hey, you're going to be king. But there's a hang-up, and there's a king whose name is Saul, and he's a jealous, he's vengeful, he's a wrathful king. 
And Saul has a son whose name is Jonathan. That's the names that we just read in the scripture. Well, David's anointed king, but he can't do anything because Saul is already king. He's got to just wait in his humility before he can ever go serve on the throne. So David, you might remember this story, he goes on and he he defeats a giant whose name is Goliath. And then he goes to be one of the um, commanders of Saul's army. And he goes undefeated. Like, he goes after battle, after battle, after battle. And he's completely undefeated. And he starts winning favor from the citizens and from the military soldiers. And people start holding David in higher esteem than they do Saul. And Saul, in his wrath and his vengeance and his jealousy, he seeks to kill David before David is ever actually on the throne. But there's a hang-up. And that's that David and Jonathan, Saul's son, are best friends. Okay, And David and Jonathan have come together, and they've made a promise to one another. They've made what's called a covenant between themselves and between God. And they say, as long as you're alive, I will not let your household fall. They both say that to one another. Okay, And so then Saul and Jonathan are defeated. King Saul, his son Jonathan, David's best friend, they're defeated. And then Saul and Jonathan's family, they flee, they run and hide. And when they're running on the, on the run, the nanny is holding Mephibosheth at five years old, and he, she drops him. And he falls in a way, such a way where he breaks his ankles, and he actually is crippled. And that's where our story leads us today. They have ran, he's been dropped, he's crippled, Saul and Jonathan defeated, and King David is finally sitting on the throne. That's where our text starts today. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. That's on page 260, I'm pretty sure. Let's read this together. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake, right? For my best friend's sake. I made this promise. I made this covenant. Who can I show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? Verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Right? And so remember, David's just poor shepherd boy, anointed king. He's done nothing to deserve that title. But God in his grace has appointed him to be the king over the whole nation of Israel. Right? And David aims to show the same kindness, the same grace, love, the same gift to someone else to uphold that promise that he made with his best friend, Jonathan. Right? And, and, so let's keep reading. Sorry, keep reading verse 3. Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet because he is dropped by the nanny. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And so we're going to see throughout this text is David has initiated this pursuit of Mephibosheth. Okay? And not only does he initiate this pursuit of Mephibosheth, he's going to pursue him all the way to a town called Lodabar. Lodabar is where the scum of the earth went to die at this point. Like it was considered unclean, nasty. It was actually against Jewish law to even go to Lodabar. Right? You weren't allowed to go there. And so let me help you wrap your minds around Lodabar. Anybody, any of you know the comedian Jim Gaffigan? 
I see a few heads in there, not a lot, but okay. So some of this is going to be funny for some of you. The others, it's just going to be crickets, but we're going to, you know, we're going to go with it. It'll be good. So Jim Gaffigan does this whole skit. He does numerous skits, but he does this skit on Cinnabons, like the Cinnabons, like at the mall, the little boutique or whatever you call it, shop. And he says something to the effect of, I've done a lot of shameful things in my life, but standing in that Cinnabon line is among the top two. It's just a place of despair and shame and... No one has their head up. Everyone's looking at the ground. Like, no one wants to make eye contact. They want to make, they make excuses like, I'm not here for the Cinnabon. I'm just here to grab a few napkins, you know? And like, if you look in your mind, like West County Mall, you see that Cinnabon shop, man. It's like right out in the middle and everyone's just standing there and there's like a hibbit and then a footlocker and so you have like this opportunity to be athletic if you chose, but it's just staring you in the face because you just want a Cinnabon and, and you see that when you're there. It's, what's funny is my wife loves Cinnabon. So we're talking to this illustration. She's like, I don't think that's funny. And so, but... It's a Cinnabon, right? And you, but we've all seen it. We've all smelled the Cinnabons. You know, you know what he's talking about. What's funny is, well, what's true about that is that about Lodabar is this. Lodabar actually means a place of despair, a place of, that's desolate, a place of hiding. And that's where Mephibosheth went. And what's nuts is that David, he breaks the norm, especially for a king, a Jewish king, and he has, I mean, he has full right to destroy the previous house of Saul. Like, that was normal for kings to do. They would go, and they would actually massacre the whole family, because it ensured their place on the throne. It made it so no one could later come say, actually, there's a son of a son of a son that's king. So normally, kings would go, and they would kill everyone. But David breaks the norm, right? He doesn't do that. He says, who can I bless? Who can I give the kindness of God to you for the sake of my best friend, Jonathan? I made this promise. Who can I pursue? Please tell me that there's someone left in the house of Saul. And there is. His name's Mephibosheth, and he's been in Lodabar with the scum of the earth, right? He's been in desolate, a place of desolation, a place of hiding. I started thinking through this and thinking, like, where do we go um, in our fear? What is your Lodabar? What is your place of hiding? What is your place of desolation? Because we all have a place we go. Sometimes we literally go someplace, and sometimes that's kind of healthy, right? We can go on a run. Uh, we can go just for on a walk, especially after we've had Cinnabons. And we go to the gym and kind of clear our heads, right? And it's really good. It's, it's good to get out. But the reality of that is if we continue to just mask our fears and mask our sins and we don't actually deal with them, we're not really doing anything, right? We're just putting a Band-Aid on something and just, we just keep ripping it back off, which is really gross imagery. And, but that's what's going on. And so, and sometimes we don't go anywhere. We just mask our fears with, with things, right? And so we say, well, I've, had a, I've been really down this past week. I'm, I'm feeling down. But if I could just go shopping, right? If I could go buy the right outfit, the right shirt or dress, skirt, pants, shoes, whatever it may be, if I could go do that, right, I would feel fulfilled. I would feel really good about myself. Or my calendar's a little nuts, and, and we have all these fears that we're feeling out of control because we're actually losing some control. But if I could just get my calendar in order, if I could get structured and get the kids' events figured out and get the date nights figured out and get the projects that worked all worked out, put on a calendar, everything would be perfect. It would be great. But the reality is that that doesn't really solve anything, does it? Because you just get more chaotic and you just have more and more needs for materialism in your life. And, and the root sin of that is your desire to be in control. You're actually fearing yourself at that point. You're fearing your own ability to be in control. And when you work in your strength and you put faith in yourself, you actually go into hiding 
even longer. You keep running back to that same hiding place and masking those fears with the same things. You, in that moment, are your worst, own worst enemy. And that's why we have to, like, we need to come to this understanding that, that we've been given grace from God and that grace is where God embraces us, right, at his son's expense. It's not about our performance or our ability to buy the best outfit or plan or structure well or get everything organized. It's, it's about coming to a place where we realize that we're broken and we need grace. And it's all because of Jesus' work on the cross, him living the perfect life in our place as our substitutes, dying, going on the cross, taking all that sin on him. It's because of his work, his death, his resurrection that that we get to experience grace and we can let go of that control and we can begin to let go of some of those fears. It's all because of Jesus. And that's what we see in this text is that David is seeking, right, to embrace Mephibosheth, not because of anything that Mephibosheth has done, solely based on the work of his father, Jonathan. I hope that you guys are beginning to to see that with me. Let's keep reading in verse 7. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So we see that David is, is king, has pursued Mephibosheth. He's had his servants go get him out of Lodabar. He's brought him back. And not only that, but he, he aims to restore this whole kingdom to Mephibosheth. And in that last sentence, he says, What is your servant? Mephibosheth says, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? I hope that you can just hear the defeat in Mephibosheth's voice whenever he's saying that. Um, this once prince of Israel, right? He is in line. He's in lineage to be the king of the whole nation of Israel, right? He's this once prince, five years old. Can you just imagine him with me, like, playing with the sword, right? He's fighting dragons. He's, he's, on, he's on his way to be this king in his mind, just like a little boy or a little girl always pictures what their fathers do and what their mothers do. And like, that's what they want to do when they grow up. And this is his image of, of how his life is going to turn out. And now he's living in Lodabar, like with the scum of the earth. And he's been there for years, right? And it's, I think it's safe to assume he's probably shunned, right? He's probably mocked. Can you picture there's people mocking him? You were supposed to be a king. You were supposed to be a king. And now you're crippled. And you're here with us in, in desolation, in despair. You're here in hiding, right? This is what your life is going to be, is what people would have said to him. Right? It's safe to assume that he would have been mentally and just physically, emotionally just broken and scarred. Right? But David embraces Mephibosheth and restores all of Saul's lands, all of Saul's servants, all of Saul's everything back to him. And Mephibosheth has done nothing to deserve it. He's just been in hiding out of fear. It's left him crippled, literally crippled in so many different ways. And it's all because David doesn't see Mephibosheth. But he sees, his, he sees his father, Jonathan, and he sees the promise that he made, and he aims to uphold it, right? He says, I want to show the kindness of God to him, not because of anything Mephibosheth has done. I'm just trying to stress it solely based on the work of his father, Jonathan. Mephibosheth is expecting David to come, right, and kick the door in, like dog the bounty hunter and throw him the SUV and take him back to the castle, but he doesn't. He says, here's everything that was supposed to be yours, everything you dreamed about, 
I want to give it back to you. You have no more need to fear. Right? I'm going to restore everything to you. Right? That's grace. Right? He's doing everything because of Mephibosheth's father. Mephibosheth doesn't deserve it at all. It's just his, and his fear has kept him this whole time in Lodabar. This whole time, this once prince of Israel. And our fears do the exact same thing. They keep us in Lodabar. They keep us in hiding. They keep us in desolation. Right? And, and it's sometimes what only thing is in front of us is people want to be kind or show us grace and love, and still we want to stay in hiding for our fears. And for some of you, that fear is of God. Right? You're pleasantly okay with not pursuing a deeper relationship with God for fear of the unknown, of who, of who he might be. I mean, when you picture God the Father, who do you picture? Do you picture a gracious, loving, embracing Father who wants to wrap his arms around you, wants to give you and restore to you a new kingdom, or do you picture something else? Do you picture your father, perhaps? Maybe he didn't add up. If it's anything like mine, he definitely didn't add up. That man is the last person I ever want to picture as the face of Jesus in my life. Or potentially it's bad teaching that has led you to fear God the Father. And you've heard that he's, he's just religious and he's works-based and he's unjust and he's unloving and he's not embracing, he's not gracious, he's not full of love and acceptance, right? He's just this religious God that wants you to do this and check this box and pray the right prayer and walk the right aisles and read scripture and, and you just have to do all these different checks. And when you don't do that, he's going to condemn you. But it's not true. We see this gracious, loving Father that wants to embrace us at the expense of His Son. It's not about our work and our performance, but it's all about Jesus. He doesn't see us. He sees Jesus whenever He looks at us. For some of you, it's church, man, and you're so scared of church. Like, I don't want to go, and you've been fed this lie that church is for the, the righteous, the religious. It's for those Christians that they have it all figured out. So I don't, want, I don't belong there. Let me tell you a secret. Actually, I don't, want, I don't want it to be a secret. Hopefully this is, sticks. The Christians that you're sitting next to are among the chief sinners of the city. Keep your purse close, right? <laughs> if you're a dude, you got a wallet, put it in the front pocket. Right? <laughs> People got bills to pay. And, but it's the reality, right? We are the chief sinners in the city. And hopefully we know that because as we know and we, and we even dwell on the sins in our life, it opens our minds to the grace that's been given to us. And it, it brings us to a place where we can say what Mephibosheth says, where he says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Right? Who am I that I deserve this? When we actually recognize our brokenness, we recognize the immense and intense amount of grace that's been given to us. Right? And some are Christians that they're living missionally and I mean, they, 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 they love reading, they're praying, they're sharing the gospel, they're serving, and serving nonprofits, and they're doing all these great things, but they still have fear, um, a fear that, that Jesus, his promises aren't sufficient for them. His promises aren't good enough for, for, for them, that maybe the gospel could change my heart, but I don't think it can change my mom's heart, who's an addict, or, or probably can't change my brother's heart, who is an atheist, or it probably can't lead my Christian friends to be on mission with me. And we have these fears that his promises, that this kingdom that he wants to restore back to us isn't sufficient in our own lives. And then it leads us to be in control. And, and we go into hiding because we maybe share the gospel or we put together an event or we do these things and they don't produce the right results. And because people weren't moved by the way I said this or delivered the gospel or they, weren't, they didn't show gratitude because I went and served them, that clearly what I'm doing isn't good enough. 
right? And God's promises aren't sufficient, that he's going to take the gospel message and bless people with it, or that when I go to serve people, I'm actually be in the hands and feet of Jesus. He's not going to, that's not true. It's not actually sufficient. It's not going to work. And that's our, our fears of these things. We actually put ourselves in control again, and that's our sin. We want to steal God's glory. And it's all fear. And I share all this because I just, I want to pull out, like, I just want us to remember together and, and know that, like, we are dead dogs outside of Christ. And it's okay that we're fearful. And it's, it's okay that we don't have the best image of God, and that, but, but we have to pursue understanding what God looks like. And it's okay if we don't fully understand church, but we need to pursue a better understanding of church. And it's okay if we share the gospel, man, and, and maybe it sounds like it falls flat. Because it's not about our work and our performance, it's about God's grace, and he embraces us at the expense of his son. It's all about the finished work of Christ. There's no defeat. If you're feeling defeated, I want you to to change your mind, and I want you to feel victorious, because there's no defeat in the gospel. He's already reigning and ruling victorious. So we've seen that David has pursued Mephibosheth. He's restored his kingdom to him. And now he, he's going to give Mephibosheth, um, David's going to give Mephibosheth this ultimate invitation, right? He's going to invite him to dine at his, cable, at his table. So I'm going to read that and talk through it. And we're going to talk about where we see how all this foreshadows Christ. And then I'll give you some application and we'll wrap it up. So if you could read with me in verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson, and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Right, And so <clears throat> David's telling us that it's not that he just restored a kingdom of Saul's. He restored everything, right? He's telling Ziba, it's almost a little bit of humor in there, like, I'm going to restore everything back to Mephibosheth, and that includes you, actually. And so you and your servants and your sons, um, your whole family, actually, you're going to go serve Mephibosheth now. Um, He's not going to do anything. He's not going to have to till the land. He's not going to have to do any work. All Mephibosheth has to do is dine at my table. That's it. Right? And that's even an invitation. It's not telling him to. He's given an invitation to come and eat and dine. And not just to eat and dine, but to eat and dine as one of the king's sons, right? One of the king's families as an heir to the king. He's restored everything back to him because of this promise and this covenant that David made to Jonathan, not because of anything that Mephibosheth has done. Right? So David pursues him, he restores him, and he invites him to the table. And I love that just the imagery of this last sentence sounds like it's so placed so awkwardly, but he says he was lame in both feet. And so what I want you to get here is that, so Mephibosheth lives in Lodabar, this unclean place, which is ceremonially unclean we talked about earlier. Not only was that place unclean, but Mephibosheth 
being crippled would have technically been considered unclean himself. It would have been illegal for the Jewish culture to associate with him because of his disability, right? But, but, but David doesn't see Mephibosheth. He doesn't see where he lived or his physical state. He only sees his father, Jonathan. And he invites him in despite his brokenness, despite his disability, despite where he lived at in Lodabar, right? He, despite all these um, Jewish norms, he breaks every single one of them and he invites him to eat at the table with him. Right? This is the invitation of the gospel and it is all throughout this text, right? We all hide, we all have sin, we all have a lame foot, so to, foot, so to speak, that, that keeps us in hiding, that keeps us kind of in a state of brokenness, that keeps us crippled. Right? But God doesn't see us. He doesn't see where, we, where we've been, but he knows where we're going. Right? He doesn't see us, but he sees his son, Jesus, and he invites us to dine with him at the table. Right? That's exactly what we see here. And, and, and it all stems, it all spawns from this covenant of David and Jonathan, but it also spawns from this covenant of Dave, between David and God. And so I want you to look at 2 Samuel 9 with me. Um, 2 Samuel 7, I apologize. You might have to flip back a page. It'll be on the overhead. Um, David and, and God have come together, actually, and they make the same covenant that David and Jonathan make, okay, that we've seen played out throughout this whole story of Mephibosheth, and that is that I'm going to restore to you a kingdom, right? But we're going to see some differences between this last covenant and between the story of Mephibosheth. But it's going to point us to the foreshadowing of Jesus. So let's Let's read this and I'll explain it. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Right? So saying, so God's saying to David, whenever you die, whenever you pass on, when you lie down with your fathers, buried, I'm gonna, from your genealogy, from your bloodline, there's going to come someone that's a little greater than you, right? A lot greater than you. And I'm going to establish his kingdom. Right, we're going to make his kingdom, right? He says, verse 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, so everything we see that David has, everything that David has given to Mephibosheth, is eventually going to fade away. Right? David's still not ruling king in a castle somewhere. He's gone. Everything is faded away in the literal sense. And everything that he gives to Mephibosheth is also going to fade away eventually. It's not going to last forever. Mephibosheth still isn't walking around within a kingdom, right? So everything is going to go. And he says, um, verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, right? This new king. He will, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, when he commits iniquity, I would discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will never depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Right? So he's saying this new king is going to experience sin. He's going to experience iniquity, but it's not actually going to be his own sin. Right? It's going to be the sin of men. And we know this because he puts Saul away. Saul was, what I say? He was vengeful, wrathful, jealous, right? He never listened to God. And he put him away. Saul's no longer ruling anymore. But this new king who's going to experience sin isn't actually going to be his sin, right? He's going to be like a son to me. I'm going to discipline him because of the sin. I'm going to send him to the cross. But, he, but it's not his sin. It's our sin. It's the sin of those to come and those before us, right? I'm not going to put him away like I did Saul. I'm going to establish a kingdom for him forever. Verse 16. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And so the difference is, is that we see here is that this covenant that David made with Jonathan is, is very temporal, right? It doesn't last forever. It's not a, an, an eternal covenant by any means. It's a beautiful covenant, and David fulfills it all throughout the story of Mephibosheth. He's done everything he can do, right? He, he pursues him, he restores him, he invites him to dine with him at the table, but it's all of temporal value, whereas this covenant that we just read in Second Samuel 7 is it holds eternal value. It holds eternal consequences showing us and pointing us to a better king with a better kingdom, right? A king that's going to rule and reign forever and a kingdom that is going to last and be established for eternity without sin. If there was sin, that king couldn't stay in power. But he's offering us an eternal kingdom that is sinless, that's perfect. You call it the shalom of God. It's going to be the perfect peace that comes from God. That's the kingdom that we're invited to. That's the kingdom that is being established through David's bloodline. As we were to read through all the genealogy, we would see that David comes, I'm sorry, that Jesus comes from that, right? And all this is done in God's grace because of the finished work of Christ, right? He embraces us at his son's expense. So it's not about us and our performance, but it's solely on the work of God. So I hope that you are seeing that throughout this text. Let me wrap it up with this. We see that our fears lead us into hiding, but God's grace leads us to be, to be um, embraced. It's actually because of our sin that God has to embrace us, because if we're left to ourselves, left to our own control issues, we'll actually run deeper and deeper into hiding. So God has to embrace us. He has to pursue us and, and chase us down and wrap his arms around us like a loving father because left to our own sin, we would continue to hide. And so whenever you go, you feel that like kind of world coming in on you, you feel those fears and you want to hide or you're beating yourself up because you're not praying right or reading enough or you're worried about whether or not you should go to church or maybe there's a sin you just can't nix in your life. I want to just give you four simple truths um, to hopefully remember that we see in the passage that will help you um, in that process. So here's your application. If you could throw it up on the overhead, please. Mephibosheth was adopted into a family. So are we, right? Mephibosheth, is, he's adopted as a son or daughter, as a, in his case, as a son to David. That's the same invitation that we've been given. We've been adopted into a family. We were adopted as, as heirs and co-heirs in Christ. Like whenever God sees us, he doesn't see our sin, our brokenness, our shortcomings. He sees Jesus. And because of that, we're made right in front of God. We're made right before God. And he invites us into his throne room of grace to sit for eternity at his side as his son and as his daughter. So your identity is no longer in, if you're in Christ, it's no longer in your own performance or your, your ability to buy the right shirt to make you feel good for two weeks or your ability to, to work through a calendar and get it structured. You don't have to feel defeated. You don't have to beat yourself up because it's not your identity. It's not who you are. You're in Christ and you're in all of his success and all of his wins, right? You're invited into victory as a son and as a daughter. Mephibosheth is given a new home. So are we. When I said that we were living in the slums in comparison to what God has offered us and restoring to us a kingdom. 
Mephibosheth's given a new home. So often, we think that this is it for us. Like, we think that wherever we live, um, whether it be here in Edwardsville, Glen Carbon, Highland, Troy, wherever it is, that that is our home. And we get so comfortable. We get so complacent with our, with our house and cars and clothes. And, and we really get this idea that this, this is it for us. Like, this is as good as it gets. Right? But the reality is that we are living in the slums in comparison to what he has in store for us in this new kingdom. We've been invited into an everlasting, eternal kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I do not want this to be as good as it gets. Right? I want to long for that day where I can go home. Right? When he comes back and, and invites us in with his arms open wide, and he embraces us as a loving father, we've been given a new home. This is our mission field. This is not our home. This is where we're called to share the gospel and make disciples that make disciples and go out and teach people about Jesus and grace and free them from their own fears. This is what we're called to do. This is why, as Christians, we are here. It's not our home. Don't get too comfortable. And there's something a lot better coming. Number three, he received his inheritance, and so do we. We receive the gift of eternal life. Our inheritance is our salvation. Our inheritance is our relationship with Christ doesn't get any better than that. But it's up to us to pursue a deeper relationship with him. It's up to us to find out more about his character, to, to take a little bit of control in that area and pursue a deeper understanding of what it means to have a God that is also a father, a God that invites you into a new kingdom, a God that gives you the opportunity to call him dad, literally, in the literal sense. This is our inheritance. It is our salvation. It's our freedom in Christ that frees us from sin. Not because we're really good at not sinning. Clearly that's not the case. But because of Jesus' work and performance in our place. It's because Jesus lived the perfect life that God no longer sees us. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see our sin, right? And so he gives us this inheritance of salvation. It's all because of Jesus. And fourth, Mephibosheth is invited to dine at the king's table. And so will we. Um, I keep reading the same things, but I, I just want to hammer it home where God doesn't see our sin, right? Just like David didn't see um, Mephibosheth, he saw Jonathan, his father. In the same sense, God no longer sees, God the Father doesn't see our sin or brokenness. If we're in Christ, he sees Jesus and his perfect performance. He sees that our sin went on Jesus on the cross. Jesus died, rose again to show his defeat over sin. And now Jesus is interceding. I got to preach on this a few weeks ago. He's interceding for us on our behalf, seated next to God, saying it's not about them. It's not about them. It's about me and my good work. It's not about their performance. It's about me. I'm the reason you love them. I'm the reason you embrace them. It's because of me. It's my expense, not theirs, right? And as a result, God invites us to the table to eat for eternity as co-heirs and heirs with God, with Jesus, he's inviting us to an eternal celebration. And we need to long for that celebration. We need to long for that restoration that's coming in and long for that meal, that feast, right, where we get to set for eternity with him. These are four simple truths that as your fears creep in, I hope you remember, you're adopted into a family, you're given a new home, you've received an inheritance, and you're invited to dine at the table. And all this flows from God wanting to embrace us at the cost of his son. Right? What Jesus did is so satisfying, it has eternal rewards, eternal consequences. That's what we see in the covenant that we just read about. And that's what we see all throughout that story with David and Mephibosheth. 